Cinematic Series. And we stopped, we were gonna move into Makers. Remember I was talking about how the next small group leaders, I think I was telling you guys about this, how we're moving into the Cinematic Series called Makers and we want to make our own destiny. But, um, you know, Marlon and I were talking um, just after um, we explored the emotional intelligence um, a couple of weeks ago. And we wanted to stop real quick and just dig deeper into that. Would you guys like to dig deeper a little bit into emotional intelligence and how to grow our emotional intelligence? So before we go into makers, because you have to be emotionally intelligent to be able to like make something. Um, so we wanted to stop and just kind of explore what it looks like to grow our emotional intelligence as an act of worship, as an act of spiritual connection to God. And so um, for the next couple of weeks, leading up to Resurrection Weekend, we're gonna explore Jesus and his relationships and um, his emotional intelligence. And you know, psychiatrists today are studying Jesus, the person and the human of Jesus, as one of the most emotionally intelligent people to ever walk the face of the earth because of how he maintained his composure based on everything that he dealt with, based on how um, scripture is um, held even by folks who have no um, religious or theological belief, scripture is one of the most historically accurate documents that we have. And so you can put scripture next to any other um, nations or traditions, um, historical documents, and all of the events, all of the details will line up. Did you guys know that about scripture? Yeah, so all the events will line up. So anyway, they're now studying Jesus as um, basically kind of a, an emotionally intelligent CEO, kind of. Um, so I think that as followers of Jesus, we really have um, a resource in front of us. So anyway, um, this needs to go back though. So everybody turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, we're gonna read this very interesting story to me, one of the most uh, peculiar stories of a relationship in the Bible and I'm, I'm always looking at it because it's, it's very perplexing to me. But it's the story of Jesus and Judas in Matthew chapter 26. Can I? Yeah. Y'all there? Oh, and another thing is since we are um, a little intimate today, this Sunday's truth communication will be very dialogue driven. I'm going to ask you guys to talk back to me, and I also want to give you some time to turn and talk because adult humans learn best by processing and talking about what they just heard. Um, lots of times we'll hear a lot of good things and then it's just, it'll just leave our minds. But if we talk about it and if we make it kind of our own thought, then we'll retain it. So um, can we avoid the like awkward pulling teeth moment of like the first question being asked and just like dive in since we know each other and we're, you know, we're here together? Yes, yes? thank you, great. Okay, thank you, Gina. Um, after sunset, he and the, tw are y'all there yet? Good. Matthew 26. Yeah, we're going to start at 20. After sunset, he and the 12 were sitting around the table. So we're going to hop around this scripture a little bit too. During the meal, he said, I have something hard but important to say to you. One of you is going to hand me over to the conspirators. They were stunned and then began to ask one after the other, it isn't me, is it, Master? Jesus answered, the one who hands me over is someone I eat with daily. One who passes me food at the table. Mm, mm, mm. 
In one sense, the Son of Man is entering into a way of treachery well marked by the scriptures. No surprises here. In another sense, that man who turns a man turns traitor to the Son of Man. Better never to have been born than do this. Then Judas, already turned traitor, said, It isn't me, is it, Rabbi? Jesus said, Yeah, let's read what Jesus says together. <laughs> Ready? Go. Don't play games with me, Judas. Who said it like that? <laughs> Y'all gave Jesus a little bit more attitude than I think he had in that moment, but you get the gist. Don't play games with me. So now he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes to pray. He says, y'all, stay and watch. The person that is going to betray me is, you know, on their way. Stay and watch while I go pray. They fall asleep. Get up. Let's get going. My betrayer is here. The words were barely out of his mouth when Judas, the one from the twelve, showed up, and with him a gang from the high priests and religious leaders brandishing swords and clubs. So the high priests have formed a gang and are coming for Jesus because Jesus, Judas, the one who passes Jesus the bread, has sold him out, okay? The betrayer had worked out a sign with them. The one I kiss, that's the one, sees him. He went straight to Jesus. How are you, Rabbi? And kissed him. Jesus said, friend, why this charade? Judas, the one who betrayed him, realized that Jesus was doomed. Overcome with remorse, he gave back the 30 silver coins to the high priest saying, I have sinned. I have betrayed an innocent man. They said, what do we care? That's your problem. Jesus threw the silver, Judas, why do I keep switching that? Judas threw the silver coins into the temple and left. Then he went out and he hung himself. Okay, so before we move on, let's just kind of explore this scripture. What are some of the things that let you know what kind of relationship Judas and Jesus had? Like, What are some indicators or what kind of relationship do you think they had? Close. Close. Called him friend. What are some other indicators? Let's go back. Yeah, like what's this charade? Like you're not you're not being yourself. I know you. Like what's up? What else? So Judas, he's like. So what's another indicator of how close they were? Mm-hmm. Nobody else? You just know people. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that, that Judas said, the one that I kiss, that's the one, season. Like, I don't know what the time was like during that day, but men just don't be kissing each other like that. You know what I mean? So if you're comfortable with a man enough to let him kiss you, that communicates a sense of intimacy, right? right? Yes. That's still kind of practiced in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And so, but not every man. Your friends, people you trust, your comrades. Yes. Did you? Have? Yeah. 
Yeah. In Kenya, grown men would hold hands walking down the street. And that was a privilege reserved for your best friend. Um, and so it's very interesting, I think, that there are lots of signals in this story about how close Jesus and Judas were. You know, Jesus was the treasurer. He was the one with the money bag. You know, he was the dude with the access to the group's money. So when the group needed food, when the group needed a place to stay, Judas had the purse, right? Um, and, and scripture, uh, well, scripture theologians and experts have pointed to other um, cultural things to indicate how close Jesus and Judas were. They were really close. So now, how might Jesus be feeling at the point of being seized after Judas kisses him? Hurt, betrayed, sad, disappointed. Was he angry? Would you be angry? Like imagine if the person that you are the closest to, the person you trust the most, the person who got all your passwords, keys to your house, all your account numbers, just completely turns you over. It's not right. So let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like someone has hurt you in a similar way? Have you ever felt betrayed in a similar way? Have you ever felt like somebody you were close to just got brand new on you? You know, and you're like, why, why this charade? Why are you brand new? So here what we're going to do today is really identify with Jesus' experience and identify with the person of Jesus so we can learn from him. So that when these things happen, which they do and they will, when these things happen, we can have some better tools for how we express what we're feeling. Because how many of you um, or any, does anybody in here perfectly express their anger and disappointment? You, per, you perfectly express no. <laughs> Unless you just go in there and bake a bunch of angry cookies, like, it's not, it's not perfect, no. Um, and so, again, Jesus, you know, Jesus is this emotionally intelligent kind of icon right now. And we know that emotional intelligence is the ability to monitor one's own and others' emotions, to discriminate among them, and to use this information to do what? Guide one's thinking and actions, Right? So one of the first ways to be emotionally intelligent is to be self-aware. And Jesus was extremely self-aware. So what is self-awareness? You got it, Tristan? Oh, yeah. Let's read this together. Ready? Go. Self-awareness, the capacity for introspection, and the ability to recognize oneself as an individual separate from the environment and other individuals. So when we're not self-aware, the opposite is true. When we're not self-aware, we think that the environment and the individuals have a direct impact on our well-being and who we are. When we're not self-aware and things go wrong, we think that everything is going wrong with me. When we're not self-aware and the individuals around us are behaving a certain way, we immediately attach ourselves to the behavior and the outcome of those individuals' behavior. Right? When we're not self-aware. When we are self-aware, we are able to introspectively differentiate, differentiate ourselves and say, you know what? This is going on around me, but this is what? Not me. This is not me. When we're able to quiet ourselves on the inside, we can, self, in, a, in a way that is self-aware, be able to assess what's happening and then move through it instead of react to what's happening and then become a part of the melee and the mess. You know what I'm saying? Fuel it. 
So a person who's self-aware can literally move through trauma and still be in control of their emotions. A person who's self-aware can move through betrayal and disrespect and being taken for granted. A person can move through those things and still maintain a positive attitude. A person can still get done what they got to get done. A person can still move in the next direction that they're going because they can say, you know what, this situation and these people are unattached from what's happening inside me. Right? Okay. So Jesus was self-aware. But let's just talk about real quick, like, why Jesus was self-aware. What do you think Jesus had to hang on to to remember who he was and what he had to do? Promise. The prom What promise, Walter? Mm hmm Okay. Anybody else? What do you have to hang, what do you have to remember? He's not there for himself. Sarah? Okay. So let's read this quote together. Ready? Go. Anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that is not easy. Has anybody ever been angry with the exact right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for, for the right purpose, and in the right way? Like perfectly, just like your anger just hit all five of those things. <laughs> I'm angry with the wrong person for too long. I too, I go too hard <laughs> at the wrong time for the wrong purpose in the wrong way. Yep. Disaster. Do we want to learn how to be like angry in the right way? Because anger is an emotion that we're allowed to feel. You know that, right? Betrayal, hurt, these feelings of injustice, that is okay for us to feel. You know that, right? And my upbringing teaches me to repress my anger. My upbringing teaches me, my family rules, my family culture rules, is being angry is wrong. And communicating your feelings is disrespectful to your elders. Does anybody else have a similar family culture? No? Good, thank you. So two people, thank you. Three people, thank you. Everybody else, y'all can just talk crazy to y'all grandpas and grandmas. When the grandma make you mad, you can just be like, I hate this grandma. Fix me another sandwich, grandma. Like, no. <laughs> Get a sandwich out of here. <laughs> oh, baby, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's our family culture. It's okay. No. So we have a lot of different um, societal rules that we've learned around anger. Um, and do you know that, interestingly enough, I read a study recently that talked about how African-American males are perceived to be older and angrier than they really are. Like that's a national study. <laughs> that any, any kind of communication of displeasure, and this was a study done on young African-American boys. They're automatically perceived to be older and angrier than they are. So you have this little three-year-old, and it's like, this 12-year-old trying to attack me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 what, that's where we live right now in America, okay? So it's interesting and very intentional, I think, and it's essential for us to learn how to feel and steward our anger. I think that if we learn how to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, we can accomplish a lot. 
Like we can let our anger be an alarm clock for change. We can let our anger really fuel some constructive behavior. We can let our anger be a fuel to teach and educate people, and not in the way that you think. Like I had to bust them, so I would teach them not to do that to somebody else. I was angry, so my fist became the professor. No, that's not. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That's not how you express it. That's not how you do it. But I really want us to, to experiment with how to do this better today. So what I want to focus on is you know, how Jesus was angry at the right person at the right time and in the right way. Let's talk about that. How was he angry at the right person in the right time at the right way in this particular story? Right, he, he spoke directly to Judas, but how did he talk to Judas? I love you, I see you. I love you, but I see you. So how do you think, what do you think he had to know to do that? Because don't you think there was a burning, hot, white, hot rage inside of him? Like, Mm-hmm. So, so it's, he knew he didn't have to be happy about it either. Like he wasn't like, yeah, you can mess with me. Yeah, Judas, betray me. He wasn't focused on the gang of men and what it looked like. He was focused on. And you know, some theologians say that Jesus at the same time was infuriated by Judas's betrayal, but also saddened by his hardness of heart. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is he still in some way could see through what Judas was doing all the way to his heart and have some compassion for him. So what if when we experienced modern day betrayal, nobody is delivering us into the hands of our killers, right? But there are people who they be hating, you know, jealous, whatever, or just not doing what they said they're gonna do, whatever. How can we be angry at the right person? And then at the right time, how is Jesus angry at the right time? Mm-hmm. Like he knew Judas wasn't necessarily the complete author of what was going on. And I think in the same way when you deal with people, a lot of times when they do stuff to you, it has nothing to do with you. Oh my you gosh. Know, it seems like it, yeah. it, but at the same time, you can let that person know what you're doing is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that kind of helps with the right time. Right time. Anybody else have thoughts on the right time? Um, he already knew that. Mm-hmm. So he had kind of some time to think about it. It's good. Yes, Reese. What about the right way? What's the right way to be angry with somebody, guys? 
Like, how is Jesus angry in the right way? Yes, Raven. That's good, Raven. That's very good. Yes, Tia. Have you ever been angry at the wrong person? Have you ever had something happen in one situation and then you move on to the new situation to a new environment and you're angry at everybody in that other environment? And that might look like you're not talking to nobody once you get there. And you think, okay, I need to take some time out, you know, I need to have some time to myself. But you're ignoring people. Have you ever felt that way? Like you just, oh, I just can't talk to anybody right now. That's I think that if we can really harness this self-awareness, if we can really grow our emotional intelligence to be self-aware, we can literally be like Jesus. Because notice in the stories, Jesus can talk directly to Judas and then talk directly to the disciples and talk directly to the priests and change his tone based on who he's talking to because he recognizes that these are new people in a different situation. So I'm mad at Judas, but I'm not going to lash out at the other disciples. I'm mad at Judas. I'm upset with Judas, but I'm not going to lash out at the people that he hired, you know? And so that's another, I think, really interesting um, example of Jesus that we should, that we should think about is how, some, how sometimes we get mad at the wrong people. Sometimes we mad at daddy and mama from 20 years ago, and we're lashing out at the next authority figure that we in, encounter. You know, sometimes we're mad at brother and sister, and we take it out on friend. Are we mad at friend and take it out on brother and sister because we know they're going to be there because they're our family? And so I think we should really take into consideration, okay, guys, how can I be correctly angry at the right person at the right time in the right way? And the, a great question to ask to process those things is what's at stake? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I think, Natasha, you asked, okay, how, can, how come I know how to control my anger at work, but I you know, have a hard time really bridling my tongue at home? I think because you know that check is at stake at work. You know, and, and at home, you can be a little more free with your emotions because it's a more free-form environment. So we have to consider what's at stake. We have to really ask ourselves, 
in our anger, and this is going to take some work, y'all. This is not something that we'll be perfect at on the first try. But we have to say, okay, what's at stake with the person who angered me? Think about the last person that you were angry with, or who you're angry with right now. Because everybody's angry with somebody right now. I don't care who you are. You might be happy-go-lucky, but you're mad at somebody right now. Even if it's the person that was at the parking garage last night, you're mad at somebody right now. Turn and talk to a neighbor and talk about what's at stake with either the person you're angry with right now or the last person who angered you. Turn and talk right now. What's at stake with the person who's, who angered you? Like, what's at stake in the relationship? And talk fast, you got a minute. Okay, guys. All right. Come back. Come back. If you can hear my voice, clap your hands one time. You guys will get to keep talking in just a minute. Now, what's at stake at this point in time? Meaning, or at the point in time where you were first experiencing the anger. Like, what is at stake right now in your relationship, in the situation? What's at stake? Go. And, and be sure both people get a chance to talk. Go. <laughs> I think it's good. The first question is, what's at stake with this person? What's at stake between me and you in our relationship? You know, our bond, 10 years of friendship, right? Rooted in service. Now, say I make you mad around, I don't know, something. What's at stake in that situation? Like, is the task that we have at hand at stake? Is the work that we have to do at stake? Is somebody's well-being at stake? You know what I'm saying? Okay, back to the discussion. <laughs> I was going to go over there. That's why I just took it off. 
Okay, third question. Third question. What's at stake in the way that I communicate my anger? What's at stake in how we communicate our anger? What? What's at stake in the way you express your anger? In the way you communicate your anger? How you speak to somebody, the, your tone, your volume, your choice of words. Is somebody's mental health at stake? Is somebody's peace at stake? What's at stake in the way you communicate your anger? Go. Sometimes your job. Okay, put a pause in it. Put a pause in it. Put a pause in it. Tell your partner, I'll finish telling you at the meal. Shameless, shameless plug for the meal. Nobody will hand you food and betray you at the meal. Not at this one. So what'd you come up with? You, did you have a question? So what'd you guys come up with? What's at stake in the way we communicate our anger sometimes? You haven't communicated. So, what do you think is at stake? Well, I think that, for me, what I think is at stake is like it's not a, it's potential jobs and gigs that I take personally. Yeah. Right. But um, being that, because it was a, mine was kind of a two part, and so I, I would be angry if I brought it up. So I just haven't. I just haven't yeah. brought it up. Yes. Are you doing the Omega quote yeah. back there? Is your I'm Greek sure. status I'm at sure. stake? Aggression. One thing that I've come to realize is that what's at stake isn't necessarily, I agree with uh, what Nina's saying. I think that uh, that connection, that, that roadway that you have with the other person can become uh, irreparably, irreparably damaged. Mm -hmm. um, but then also on the internal um, side of things, it's like you, there's blood pressure, stress. Mm -hmm. uh, you always are starting to react to things in a certain way until your partner needs the sensation That's right. and feeling to the point where it damages you on that side. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very true. What's at stake, going back to the, um, the first question, what's at stake with the person? Like, what's at stake in the relationship? The communication breaks down. 
the communication breaks down. Um, yeah. And it's hard to, it's not hard, it's just challenging to get back to that place once everything has subsided. Yeah. You're uh, kind of holding on to that mm -hmm. as an as a indicator. Oh, if they see something like this in me again, you know, I know how to react mm -hmm. to it. So mm -hmm. instead of just kind of letting it go, it's like you don't know how to communicate effectively like it was before. And you have that indicator now that you know what, you're not going to hurt me again because I know what to do and what not to do. Right. So now what's at stake at, this, at that point in time? Yes, Raven. That's right. You don't know how you're going to free yourself from it later on in life. Yes. you at all are you are you asking on behalf of someone else or should we talk after church <laughs> Everybody who will hear the story, everybody who will learn. Right. 
So to answer your question, Devon, I think what we need to do is develop a, a what's at stake filter in our minds that helps us filter our words before they come out of our mouths. And if that means you need to go somewhere and be mad before you respond, then go somewhere and be mad and say, excuse me, I'm angry. I need to go somewhere and be mad. I'll be back in about five minutes. <laughs> there may not always be time for that. But there's always a space and time for us to step back and say, okay, what's at stake? Nobody's making, nobody can jump inside your mouth and make you say nothing. Nobody can jump inside your body and make you do anything. We can take a step back and say, okay, this is terrible. This is painful. This is a horrible experience. Now, what's at stake? Before I respond. So this is a great example. You know, this is the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. And I believe this is a national lesson in anger management that we can learn from. 600 people marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge only to be told to turn back by uh, the government's henchmen. When they did not turn back, they were attacked. And so they reenacted it this weekend. Isn't that cool? You see Joe Biden? Look at Al Sharpton and Jesse back there. Yeah. Jesse, <laughs> Reverend Jesse. You know, I believe, why is Selma so important? Why is Selma so hot right now? Why is Selma such an um, important lesson? I believe that we can glean from the protesters of Selma because this nonviolent response to being oppressed and discriminated against is irrational when it comes to the human psyche. It is irrational to let somebody tell you, no, you can't vote, no, you can't drink here, no, you can't sit here because of the pigment of your skin and you not go ballistic. That is irrational. So this nonviolent walking unarmed protest has been heard around the world for years and years because I believe these folks had it down. I believe these folks knew what was at stake and they knew how to respond in a way that would create waves beyond that moment for good, you know? So here are a few pictures actually from that um, time. Somebody please narrate this picture. What's happening here? What is he thinking? With his hands up. What is she thinking right here? What's her, what's her it looks like he may be trying to calm the crowd like he's about to say something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> y'all know y'all see this man up here with his arms up. What about this one? Oh, I love this one. Look, she looked like she like I see your gun, and I'ma sing anyway, happily with a smile on my face. I see you thinking. He's praying. She's singing back here too. <laughs> Ella. <laughs> We should, we're not going to overcome with that note. Yes, Mr. Marbury. She was leading the prayer. You can't, you can't tell, Mr. Marbury. Now, we, we don't know how old you are, so, you know. Tell us what happened. Tell us, what, tell us your perspective. can't. Okay. So I think that this woman's 
And I, and thank you so much for sharing the, the backstory behind this picture because it just looks like she's singing. This woman is praying for this man that's about to create Bloody Sunday. Like this was during the march. This was right when they said go back, right before they started swinging. And 50 plus people went to the hospital. Some folks died that day for walking on a bridge. And they never fought back. Children included. I have some pictures of kids. I didn't want to make y'all just be, I didn't want us just to be on the floor crying. Yeah. But, you know, I think that, that Bloody Sunday and this, this, this Montgomery March, I know that these folks had to think about what was at stake. And I know that they thought it might be good to respond immediately and just to whoop all these cops, get, get as many licks in as possible so they know who they messing with and they know that we are strong people. But I think they thought beyond that moment into the future and said if the nation sees what's happening to us, the nation's humanity will be ignited and the nation will respond. And y'all, the nation did. The world responded. You know that certain countries started putting sanctions on US trade because they were like, if you can't treat your citizens well, we don't want to do business with you. That's really what tipped it. And so I, just, I believe that they knew with whom to be angry how to be angry, and then when to demonstrate their anger. It's okay to demonstrate your anger, but can we do so peacefully? Can we do so respectfully? Can we do so lovingly in a way that extends beyond the present moment? Can we do so in a way that communicates how we're feeling, but also what's really at stake? As I close, I want us to read a couple of things together. Let's read this together, go. When you know what is at stake, you can stake your emotions. See, when we don't know what's at stake, when we're not sure what we're losing and what we're gaining, when we're not self-aware, when we're not separate from the situation, then we go crazy. We text, we call, we show up, we scream, we yell, we go to Facebook, we go to Instagram, we go to all these outlets to try and communicate our anger and communicate our value. But when we know what's at stake, we can stake our emotions and we can say, okay, now how should I respond? Let's read this one together, ready, go. When we lose control in anger, we lose our anchor. And when we lose control in anger, y'all, we lose a lot more, because guess what? Being angry and being angry for too long is like taking poison and expecting somebody else to die. And guess what else? Being angry and not being able to process and release our anger shows up and we end up at the doctor's office. It shows up and we end up at the psychiatrist. It shows up and we end up, no disrespect, but we end up at the pharmacy, right? We end up having to... <laughs> Are you angry? <laughs> What's at stake? <laughs> but we end up having to do these external things to medicate problems that we could easily resolve by spiritually inhaling what's at stake and exhaling what's not. Anger at the wrong person can damage that person and your relationship. You know, and, and I, I believe that the glory of God can be revealed in how we process and express our anger. I believe that that peace that surpasses all understanding, that peace that surpasses all understanding is found when we ask ourselves what's at stake and we are able to anchor ourselves. 
And then somebody walks up to you and says, excuse me, that situation where that person did that to you and you didn't go off and burn the whole building down, how did you not do that? And you say, well, I know Jesus. And the Jesus in me and the relationship that I have with God gives me the love and support and security I need not to light this place on fire because I still want to. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just keeping it real. <laughs> now, anger at the wrong time or held too long can damage us and our environments, y'all. How many of us have grown up with family members in households or been in classrooms or been in work environments where the people in charge of creating the culture damage the environment because their anger just got the best of them. Think about how that has left scars and marks and think about how we can really be a difference and a change and a breath of fresh air for the folks that we cultivate and curate environments for in our lives. And then lastly, anger expressed in the wrong way can create negative consequences. I mean, yeah, God's will is God's will, but guess what? We have free will. And we have the ability to create what we want to see with our responses. We can't control anything but our own decisions. Oh, we can't control anything but our own choices. We try to control so many other things, but we can control our own choices and control some of the outcomes that we may experience. Not all of them. Lastly, this is what I want to invite you to do today. Because this is how you really maintain a continual reminder of what's at stake. We need to develop a closer relationship with Jesus by asking him in prayer what's at stake. So that four minutes, five minutes you take to go somewhere and be mad, that's four or five minutes in prayer. Okay, Jesus, you've been through this. You know what's happening. You're alive. You're at the right hand of the Father. Scripture, scripture, scripture. What's at stake? Help me, Lord. Help me respond like you, Lord. Remind me of what to say. Remind me of what to think. Remind me of what to do. Help me. Do you still love me? Am I still valuable? Am I losing something right now? Help me, God. This will deepen your connection to your creator. This will deepen your connection to the savior of your soul. And this will give you a, a moment to say, okay, this is not the end. This is a point in the story. This ain't the story. So I can respond like this is just a minimal point on my story. This is not my story. As Ella says, this is not my life as a cover girl. <laughs> Guys, what's at stake? And can we respond to what's at stake instead of the temporary discomfort of what's happening? As Natasha prepares to lead us through the offering, I want to invite and encourage everyone today to deepen their relationship with their creator by going to him in prayer the next time somebody makes. As soon as you feel that flame flicker, y'all know what I'm talking about, as soon as you feel that tension, okay, Lord, what is at stake? Help me respond in a way that glorifies you and brings a positive spin on this very negative situation.